This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're always looking for new ideas and topics from our listeners, so please reach out, share your ideas. You can email us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com or connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and you can find links to all that in the show notes. Now, on to this week's episode. I look at strategy as the connecting tissue of the organization. And I talk to our strategy people in our markets and I say, you know, if you do not partner with marketing and operations and finance, it doesn't work. You have to know enough about finance and operations to be dangerous. You don't have to have that much depth in finance. You don't have to have that much depth in operations, clinical that is. But you need to know enough to gain the credibility and to understand how things are connected. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin, and I have the pleasure of being joined again by Bill Woodson as my guest host. A couple months ago, we interviewed Terry Shaw, the CEO of Advent Health, about a wide range of topics and priorities, and that conversation touched on some themes that we wanted to expand on. So we asked Joseph Gostin, the Corporate Vice President of Strategic Planning at Advent Health, to join us to expand on strategies, roles, and responsibilities within those bigger system priorities. You don't need to listen to the interview with Terry Shaw as a prerequisite for this conversation, but it is a great interview. I do recommend it. So Joseph, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. Joseph, thanks for joining us. My first question for you goes back to our discussion with your CEO, Terry. He mentioned a focus on the 2030 plan and a need to potentially change some of the priorities based on what happened last year and the pandemic, new financial realities, new clinical realities. I wonder if you could talk through some of the priorities and how you keep the balance between short-term and long-term in the system right now. Thank you, Bill. I think what Terry meant is that it is not a matter of changing the priorities. It is a matter of reprioritizing the priorities. And while certain things we had in our 2030 strategic vision may take three to four or to five years to accomplish. The timeline has accelerated and we had to push them to the front of the agenda because of different things that are happening in the environment. The reason we move things from long term to short term is we ask ourselves the question, is this a lever that needs to be pulled in order to advance the overall strategic agenda? And if the answer is yes, and it's crucial to the advancement of our agenda, then it moves to the front of the line. A couple examples. One of the things that will continue to be on the agenda for a long time is the clinical labor pool. That thing now has moved to the front of the agenda, and we call it clinical labor stabilization because of the realities we had in 2020 and the COVID-19 impact and the shortages in the labor supply whether it's the nurses, the clinicians, the physicians, or whoever in that area. Always on the agenda, now it took more priority. Another area is the consumer-focused network that we are focused on. It is an integral part of the agenda. We had like a three-year plan to accomplish it. This is another thing that moved to the front line, and we are giving it maybe 12 months to accomplish many of the things that we said we want to accomplish under the consumer area, take virtual appointments, for example, or virtual care. That thing was always on the agenda, but COVID-19 has accelerated that. We have additional emphasis on that. Risk readiness, always on the agenda. We had a time frame for it. Again, that thing has accelerated because of the new realities that we are facing in the environment today. And I can go on and on. Epic is another one. While it was always on the agenda, now it has taken a life of itself. It's probably the largest single investment Advent Health has embarked on, a multi-hundred million dollar investment. That has to work, and that is top on the agenda today. Let's keep us going to something of the strategy development process. Has that evolved? And last year, we noticed systems really did a great job on keeping focus and getting things done effectively. How do you keep the momentum going or those positive aspects of your process? Let me put it in a different framework for you. 
I think of strategy as three phases. You have the strategy formation, you have the strategy execution, and you have what I call the strategy activation. Strategy formation happens at the top level of the organization. In our company, it happens at the cabinet level. This is our CEO and the cabinet here. That's where Division 2030 is set. That's the formation of the strategy. Strategy execution is the next step, and that's where people like myself play a role. How do we execute this strategy? And in a company like ours that we have multi-markets, multi-state presence, the execution becomes very crucial in sense of communication of the strategy in terms of setting the targets, setting the dashboards, the metrics, the goals, the people accountable for that strategy. That's the execution level. When we have those monthly reviews with each market, talking about each element of the strategy the market is accountable and responsible for, that keeps the momentum going because I have this mantra, if you don't measure it, it doesn't get done. So when it's measured, things get done. And we decide on those strategic priorities every year. And the scorecard is modified, adjusted every year. We add to it, we include in it, delete from it. And then we have those monthly reviews. The challenge happens is that there is a little gap sometimes in all organizations, especially the ones that have national presence between execution and activation. When you executed the strategy, you developed the dashboard, you developed the metrics, the accountable people, you can't automatically assume that it is happening in the market. And people like me who sit in the corporate office here, we are overhead. So we don't really do things. We don't produce the revenue. We set the direction. We set what the company's direction ought to be and what each market should be focused on. But if the markets, and we have multiple of them, and my responsibility specifically is over the strategy for the multi-state division, which is all the hospitals that sit outside the state of Florida, which just makes it a little bit more complicated because you have multiple markets between Texas and Georgia and North Carolina and so on. How do we ensure that the activity of the strategy is happening in the market. The fact that we told the market that we have a growth imperative, and we do, by the way, we didn't tell the market how to grow. So what are the things that you need to deploy in your market to grow? We do a better job sometimes in the clinical area. So we say we want you to be a four or five star CMS ranking, or we want you to be a B or an A, actually, not a B actually, we want to be, have an A in leapfrog, but the clinical office gives the recipe. These are the things that need to happen in your market in order to get to a five star CMS ranking, in order to get a leapfrog A. Then my job is to monitor that and making sure that in those monthly reviews, these things that the clinical office said are happening and now we are moving in the right direction. But then you come to other areas that are not very prescriptive, like clinical, you come to the areas of market growth. It's an imperative. We want to grow by X percent, but then it becomes each market. We have to help support the market and identifying what kind of opportunities exist, what kind of additional footprint needs to happen in that market, what additional service lines need to be introduced in that market and go down the list. Whether it is in the inpatient arena or the outpatient arena or whatever we are talking about here, if you say growth alone, it becomes like motherhood and apple pie. There is no recipe for growth. There is no specific direction. Some of our markets, depending on the size, like the Orlando market, they have plenty of resources. They can figure it out and they have the depth of knowledge. In some of our markets that I work with, they are smaller markets. Sometimes we are a small player in the market. That facility in, uh, in whatever state we're talking about doesn't have the depth of expertise, the depth of knowledge. And that's where the help in the activation becomes important so that we don't just dream something and assume that dream is happening. We need to dream it in the strategy formation. We need to execute it in terms of determining the metrics, the goals, the areas we're focusing on. And then we need to assist the specific market to activate the strategy in order to produce the desired results. 
Can I ask you for an example based on one of those first priorities you brought up? And that's consumerism. Consumerism is an area where there's kind of a blending of roles and responsibilities between traditional strategy teams and marketing in terms of how do you gain those consumer insights and then how do you deploy them during strategy development? Talk about both executing and activating across a pretty dispersed geography. Sure. I'll give you two examples. One, let's talk about the care advocacy or care coordination. This is an imperative that we have here. It is a strategy that we are deploying, and it has to do with something when our CEO took over a few years ago. He said, I don't want to ever discharge a patient. So a patient should come to us. They should become a lifelong patient. We should care for the needs for the patient from A to Z. Whatever they need, we need to be able to provide to them. They need to be part of the system for whatever their needs are. We put systems in place. We send the imperative to the markets and we say, when a person leaves your emergency department, is that person getting an appointment, a follow-up with a cardiologist, a follow-up with a primary care physician, a follow-up with a GI physician, a follow-up for whatever ailment they had when they came to the emergency department? Now, this is a combination of care coordination and making sure that the consumer, the patient, stays in the system. How do I know it's happening? How do I know that X percent of the patients that came to our emergency department before leaving received information, an appointment, a referral to a physician within the system? The metrics that we put in place and the measurements we put in place will help me understand that. When the measures are not met, then we start to come to the market and ask the question, so what are the problems you are facing? Let's say the goal is 90%. I think it's about 80%. Why is 80% not getting that referral from us? And then we try to understand the logic behind that. And how can we, in the corporate office, provide support to the local market in order for them to well activate on the strategy? If I were not measuring the outcome of that, I wouldn't know there is a problem. Or I may know there's a problem company-wide, but I do not know that the problem is specific in Texas or in North Carolina or in whatever market we are operating in. Another example I'll give you, sometimes the connection between activation and execution, is the process we call it rivers and streams. What that means is when we do the budget for the following year, when we start working on a 2022 budget, the question we ask our hospitals is, so if you are planning to budget 500 MRIs for 2022, do you know the physicians that will give you the 500 MRIs? Can you list them? And the answer should be yes. We list physician A, B, C, D. These are the physicians who will give me those 500 MRIs. And that's the budget by physician. We do that for surgery, we do that for OB, we do that for most all of the direct admissions, not the ED, obviously. This is the execution of the strategy. The activation is, did it happen right on the market? So we described the theory to the market, we gave them the templates. How do I know if the activation is working or not? The reason I would know is, for example, after the first quarter of 2022, volumes are down. And I ask the question, well, why are volumes down? Why are you having problems? The answer should be very quick and very simple, because if they go back to the rivers and streams, they say, well, we budgeted 100 surgeries to come from this surgeon, and that surgeon did not produce 100 surgeries. He or she gave us 75 surgeries, and these are the reasons. If I get an answer of that nature, then I know that the activation happened. If I get an answer looking at the ceiling trying to find the answer, and I don't know why volumes are done, or there's a general description of why the volumes are done, or not, things are not happening, then I know that the activation of the rivers and streams did not work well during the budget process in the year prior. That's where I started recently to pay more attention to the link between the execution and the activation. I want to believe that the fact that we executed meaning we develop the template, the metric, the goal, the person responsible, the areas of accountability. I don't want to think that it happened. I need to test that activation to see if really did it happen. 
Thanks for those. In the last year, consumers just did more things digitally across healthcare and other industries than they've ever done before. Some people think that pendulum might swing back. Some consumers are saying, as soon as I can do things not digitally, I will. I think we've seen some of that pendulum swing back in healthcare. As you think about the system of care assets you have in place in a given market, has the last year made you think differently about the role of physical assets and digital assets in a given market to achieve the strategies? You're focused on metrics and execution and measurement and activation, but are you thinking differently about the components you have in a market to do that? Absolutely. Digital assets have come to the forefront of the priorities in our consumer area. No question about that. How fast? For example, I look at a statistic a few weeks ago. During the pandemic, the use of primary care physicians and behavioral health areas in digital health went up to 60%. We had 60% of the people use virtual appointments, virtual visits. From zero, by the way. So it was almost zero up to 60%. As of a couple months ago, the statistic has been tracking the trend. The behavioral health stayed the same. It didn't go down. But the other areas dropped to about 20%. So they went from 60 to 20. Remember, 20 may be low, but it went from zero. So we're not talking going from 18 to 20%. We went from zero to 20%. How will that trend continue? I can't tell you that. I do not know how the consumer will react. I don't know how people will adopt the virtual visits. But I can tell you going from 0% to 20% of the individuals using primary care for virtual visits visits is a sign for the future. We have and we continue to build those capabilities in order to have the product to offer the consumer. So if the consumer chooses to use the virtual visits, then it's available for them to use. It is a major undertaking in our organization here. Along the same lines, we looked at scheduling for our primary care physicians and specialty physicians, and we asked the question, when a consumer calls us, are they able to get in the system in a timely manner? What is the availability of the schedule of my specialty physicians and my primary care physicians? And the measure we are using now is that we want to make sure there is at least 80% availability for primary care physicians. So when a patient calls to make an appointment with a primary care physician, at least we have availability that we can offer the patient to visit within a reasonable period of time. Research is showing that when a patient needs to wait more than 24 hours to get to seat a primary care physician, they are more likely to use virtual visits. And if they have to wait two, three days to see a primary care physician, they are much more likely to use virtual visits. We have to work on both dimensions. One is offering the digital platform for the patient. And two is making sure that our physicians are able to see the patients within a reasonable period of time. I call it a double shot approach. We have to go both ways in order to meet the needs of the consumer. Because remember, what are we here to do? We are here to make the consumer healthier, to provide whole person care to the consumer. So we have to focus on those things. We are selling a clinical product, so we have to make sure our clinical product is excellent. That's exceptional care. We're selling connected care, meaning that when you leave us, you know where your next appointment is going to be. That's care coordination. So if you are receiving cancer treatment, we can hold your hand and take you from one place to the other where you need instead of letting you navigate your way in the system. When you come to the emergency department and you have a GI problem and we fix you and we send you home, that we have figured out a way to connect you with the GI physician to provide that connected care for you. And we have to figure out a way to make it affordable care for people not to increase the cost to the healthcare system. And you notice I ended up that our care has to be viable because if we are not viable, we will not be able to deliver the top five. So it's all connected.
Joseph, you have a comprehensive vision there, and yet we have new entrants in the healthcare market space that get a lot of attention from strategists, and that's the Amazon's VillageMD, One Medical, perhaps CVS, and others we could list. Are they transactional players? Are they competitors worth watching, worth partnering with? What's your philosophy? And as the chief strategy officer, is it really your responsibility to, to track this? I am not competing with those folk. Let's put it this way. Nobody can stop the new entrants from coming in the market. And in fact, the new entrants are good when they enter the market. And they enter the market for a reason, because there's an opportunity. Why would Walgreens do what they are doing? Why would Amazon do what they are doing? Why now I heard Morgan Health is starting something, Morgan the bank that is. Because there's an opportunity. The strategy officer for the multi-state division of Advent Health, I am more focused on the what I should be doing on my strategic agenda, on what I should do in order to meet the needs of the consumers in the markets that I serve. Am I keeping an eye on these individuals or these entities that are entering the market? Of course, but I don't look at us as competing with them. This is Joseph's opinion of this. You may talk to somebody else who may have a different opinion. I have a clear idea about what I want to do. I have a very direct mandate to provide care that is holistic, exceptional, connected, affordable, and viable. And that's what I'm focused on. I am going to do whatever I can do to provide that kind of care to the consumer because it is our strong belief, it's our conviction that when we provide that kind of care to the consumers in our market, we will have lifetime consumers. And we will have a brand that becomes a social conversation. We have a brand that becomes a roundtable conversation, a family conversation, because when you have the right product, you have a brand that can sell, a brand that the consumer likes and wants to use. And now we have a lifetime consumer and then the new entrants can do what they do. Joseph, you've been a strategist for a long time and seen a lot in your career. I'm curious how you see the role of the strategy officer evolving. In some cases, we hear about a tighter connection with consumerism, innovation, in some cases, a tighter connection with the financial parts of the system. What's your view at this point? What do you hope it becomes? Many of the things you mentioned are being part of the strategy role. I look at strategy as the connecting tissue of the organization. And I talk to our strategy people in our markets and I say, you know, if you do not partner with marketing and operations and finance, it doesn't work. You have to know enough about finance and operations to be dangerous. You don't have to have that much depth in finance. You don't have to have that much depth in operations, clinical that is. But you need to know enough to gain the credibility and to understand how things are connected. I'll go back to the example of rivers and streams. When we do the budgeting for the following year, it is not that the strategy person is doing the budget. The strategy person becomes like the orchestra conductor. And the orchestra conductor does not play a single instrument, but he or she will know when to ask the viola to kick in, the drummer to be louder, the oboe to make more noise. That's what the role of the strategy is. When they are doing these meetings to work on the rivers and streams for the following year, the operations people are at the table, the marketing people are at the table, the finance people are at the table, and all of them together are going to produce a budget that everybody believes in. That is the nuts and bolts of budgeting. When I look at my role and my reviews and interactions with the markets on a monthly basis, I'm focused on all the dimensions of our aspirations. I'm focused on the clinical part, consumer promises, on people promises, the labor workforce, on financial performance, on the market growth, market share growth, and volume growth, and all of that together. It becomes part of the strategy office to make sure that all those dimensions are interconnected because it's very important for people to understand that growth does not happen in a vacuum. If you don't have the right product, you can't grow. I say you can't put lipstick on a pig.
So you have to have the right product in order for you to go out to the market. And then the role of the strategy officer becomes also to bring the new ideas to the market. Because many times the market operators, they're managing a crisis. A doctor left, let's figure out how to replace them. We have shortage of nurses. ED is on diversion. The strategy folk have to rise a level above that in order to help the CEO or the market leader understand what the opportunities are in that market, what new innovation is happening, or what new changes may be happening. And it's not one person's responsibility. You have to keep your ears to the ground. What are the doctors saying? Doctors usually work in multiple hospitals. You know how much wealth of information you can get from these doctors that work at different competing facilities sometimes? People talk so you can hear what's happening in the other area. We have a branch of the organization we call Joint Ventures that interacts with device manufacturers, pharmaceuticals, and so on. So we keep our ear to the ground there also to hear what's happening in that area and how is that going to impact my specific market or the market in general. So the role of strategy officer is a jack of all trades, but it is really connecting the tissue of the organization, the different aspects that make us successful. And every day I have to ask myself, am I advancing the strategic agenda of Advent Health? Am I providing care that is holistic, that is exceptional, that's connected? And when I measure those different things and I find that there is a gap somewhere, then I have to ask myself, why is that? Well, thank you for just doing the recording of the first part of our next strategy course, because we're going to use that. I ask this question to a lot of people. Is there a wild card that you see in the next 12 to 18 months, either for Advent Health or for the industry as a whole? Not that we're going to call you on it, but just something that you're watching. I don't know in terms of innovation wildcard in the next 12 months or so, but the future of payment reform, I think, may be a wild card. Sometimes people may think that we know what's happening and we will never be a Canada, a Germany, a United Kingdom, and so on. But that is a wild card, depending on how policy changes, how payment reform changes. It may be a wild card. It's tough to follow your boss and be able to go into more depth. But thanks for shining a light on strategy's role in achieving some of these exciting priorities. Thank you for asking me, and I hope I contributed a little bit. This has been another episode of SG2 Perspectives. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on LinkedIn or Twitter at SG2 Healthcare. You can also reach us via email at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Reach out and let us know what healthcare trends are most important to you. Please also listen and subscribe to our colleague, Dr. Tom Villanueva's Modern Practice Podcast on Vizian's Medical Leadership Channel. Tom discusses key healthcare trends through the clinical leadership lens. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. 